Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil Alemin. Ve sallallahu ve sallama ve barak ala seyyidina Muhammedin ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ecma'in. Eşhedü en la ilahe illallahu vahdehu la şerike la. Ve eşhedü enne Muhammeden abduhu ve resuluhu amma ba'd. Assalamu alaikum ve rahmetullah. Uh, and I welcome all the viewers uh, back to a return to our Faith Foundation uh, show, our Faith Foundation podcast. Uh, the Faith Foundation podcast has been off the air for um, uh, for a few months now, uh, or a bit longer. So, alhamdulillah, we're now back. Uh, today's show is giving sincere advice so as to spread love. Giving sincere advice, nasiha, uh, in order to spread love and goodwill. Alhamdulillah. So I'm your host, uh, Sarkhil Abu Alia. Uh, and welcome to the first viewer who's come in, uh, Ibtisam. I remember you from previous shows. Likewise, Muhammad Jalal. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah to you both and to Amal. Amal is, uh, mashallah, uh, a person regular on my uh, our shows. It's really nice to see you all. Allah bless you all and Allah bless all of those who are just uh, tuning in for today's episode. Uh, today, Today's episode of Faith Foundations. I will continue the book uh, on the 40 hadith on the call to Islam and the caller <coughs> by the late Sheikh, Sheikh Ali Hassan Al-Halabi, rahmatullah May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy upon him. He wrote a very nice book. It's, it's in English and I'll remind the viewers. Uh, this is the book, The Call to Islam and the Caller. And there are just 40 hadiths with a very short and simple three or four line explanation. And we got to hadith number 15 and 16. We stopped at hadith number 16. Now, for anyone who's uh, tuned in for the first time, and, uh, and he's thinking, well, you know what, I've missed 14 or 15 hadiths. I won't know what's going on. Uh, actually, you will, hopefully. Uh, because each hadith, even though there is a mild connection, a tentative connection between one hadith and the next. But in reality, you can also look at them as completely separate. And each hadith uh, focuses on an important aspect of Islam. Uh, especially in the context of uh, of how to call people to Islam and what to call them to. Um, and so it can be understood as um, each hadith is a standalone episode. So even if you have, if this is the first time listening to the show or watching the show, should I say, uh, you won't be lost inshallah. But what I will do for those who have seen the shows, uh, the previous shows, and you can watch all the shows, they're still online uh, 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 on the channel. Let me just recap. So many moons ago, the last two hadiths uh, that we read spoke about the, the appearance of defects within the Muslims and the causes of defects. And we had a long uh, session uh, about those two things. But let me give me a, give us a recap about those two hadiths, and it will bring us into today's issue about how to rectify these defects through sincere advice. And um, 
what is the kind of state of affairs that we're hoping for, that we desire, which is the idea of spreading love and goodwill and good guidance uh, to people and to society at large. So let me do a recap, okay? So appearance of defects. So Sheikh Ali Hassan mentions this particular hadith uh, in Sahih al-Bukhari, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa uh, he's asked, uh, when will the hour, when will the last hour be? And the Prophet said, إِذَا وُصِّدَ الْأَمْرُ إِلَىٰ غَيْرِ أَهْلِهِ فَانْتَظِرِ السَّاعَةِ when, uh, when authority is given to other than its people, then await the last hour. And the idea behind that was simply... When people who are not fit for purpose um, are given authority or are given the position or the role, then that's kind of a sign that things are going downhill, uh, affairs are becoming topsy-turvy, and the last hour is swiftly approaching. And authority could be in anything. Uh, the most obvious one that comes to mind is when people who are unqualified in religious knowledge or in fiqh or in fatwas start giving religious advice or religious rulings or religious talks, then this, is, this for example, falls under that. Why? Because this is وُسِدُ الْأَمْرُ إِلَىٰ غَيْرِ أَحْلِهِ إِذَا وُسِدُ الْأَمْرُ إِلَىٰ غَيْرِ أَحْلِهِ When... Uh, when authority is given to other than its people, other than those who are qualified, can also be another way you can put it and, and translate it. Um, someone who has leadership, but they're unfit for leadership. Someone who is a life coach and they have no idea of the religious and godly life that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants them to live, let alone what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, wants us to uh, how he wants us to interact with other people but all of a sudden I'm a Muslim life coach wow um, when I'm trying to explain uh, when I'm when I'm making rulings and declaring this is halal and this is haram beyond this beyond the simple obvious things that every Muslim should know uh, all of this comes under when uh, when authority is given to other than its people or <clears throat> to those who are not fit for purpose, then await the final hour. That's the appearance appearance of defects. Hadith in Sayyid al-Bukhari. Uh, the hadith, the very last hadith uh, that we did before our long break was again something similar about defects where the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, People are like a hundred camels. Out of these hundred camels, you will hardly find one single one suitable for riding. Out of these hundred camels, you will hardly find one fit for purpose. The Prophet, again in Bukhari, Sahil Bukhari, the Prophet is telling us that there will come a time where out of a hundred people, you'll hardly find one fit for purpose. Why? Because Ignorance will be ruling the roost. Egos will be rampant. Uh, 
passions and false desires will be followed. And even when people have access to right guidance, that right guidance will be understood in terms of one's own desires, one's own goals, one's own ideas. Uh, and so people will be unfit for purpose. And what is the general lesson here? The general lesson is, uh, was, um, we, we mentioned it uh, previously, one, let's just beware of, uh, of stepping out of our level. Beware of our levels and not step out of it. Or as the saying goes, stay in lane. Uh, two, be a bit careful in terms of um, who we take as uh, religious teachers uh, and instructors. Uh, that's in terms of religion and also who we put in charge of our affairs. Some affairs require religious knowledge as a given, and that's the main uh, quality. And whoever doesn't have religious knowledge shouldn't be given that position. For example, a khatib, someone giving khutbah to the public on Friday in the mosque. Uh, the, the, the quality to look for is not, oh, dynamic speaker. The quality first to look for is, one, sound religious knowledge. Two, do they have mature understanding so that they know their audience? Otherwise, you put a young 25-year-old in a masjid where there's 50-year-olds, 6-year-olds, or 23-year-olds, and there's not even married, or if he's married, he doesn't have any kids, just barely got the job yesterday, uh, just barely graduated from an Islamic university, you know, a few, a few weeks ago. Yeah, who knows some things, but what's he going to tell people about life? Life skills, life learning, the journey to Allah. Yeah, he probably could tell them rather well, this is halal, this is haram and whatever. But he's probably not going to know how young people can overcome the challenges, even if he knows what those challenges are. Um, but when it comes to someone like something like business, you know, I'm going into business and here's a business partner, partner then we don't need to worry about Islamic knowledge, nor do we even need to worry about Islam. But what we do need to worry about is trustworthiness, competency and trustworthiness. Imam Ibn Hazm makes a point that he said uh, that basically he said it's better to go into partnership, business partnership with a non-Muslim who is trustworthy and honest than with a dishonest, treacherous Muslim. Why? Because what the business requires or what the partnership requires is not some fatwas and Islamic knowledge. Um, it doesn't require Islam, but it does require that the two partners have uh, trust amongst each other. They're, they're singing from the same hymn sheet, so to speak, and that there is honesty uh, and truthfulness uh, and proper conduct between them. So depending upon what situation, um, authority and the qualities uh, that is needed to fulfill that authoritative position uh, may vary but the uh, the the worrying news is one of the signs of the hour is that knowledge is that uh, authority will be given to those who are unfit to hold the position and we see that all around us
uh, from political matters down to more simpler matters. And we certainly see that, unfortunately, with, with, with the deepest regret in terms of spreading uh, religious knowledge. Okay, so that's defects. So then hadith number 17 on page 34 is simply how to rectify the defects. And Sheikh Ali Hassan, alayhi, alayhi rahma, uh, thought fit to bring this particular hadith. From Tamim al-Dari radiallahu anhu, who said that Allah's messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Ad-Deenun Nasiha, Ad-Deenun Nasiha, Ad-Deenun Nasiha. The religion is sincerity and sincere advice. The religion is sincerity and sincere advice. The religion is sincerity and sincere advice. Nasiha means sincerity and it also means sincere advice. Qulna uh, liman. We said to who? Who is, who is it sincerity to and sincere advice to? The Prophet said, Lillahi wa li kitabihi wa li rasulihi wa li a'immatil muslimina wa amatihim. This nasiha of sincerity and sincere advice is to Allah, to his book, to his messenger, to the leaders of the Muslims and their common folk, the, the Muslim public. And if we just think about this hadith for a little while, this idea of being sincere and giving sincere advice, for what? For the betterment of the sincere advice, for the betterment of whom I'm advising, not for my betterment. And I'm not uh, advising in a way which benefits me, that, but benefits them. This whole idea of sincerity, and also sincere advice, one can clearly understand how this would be a, a healing, a medicine for defects. Okay, um, so let, let's unpack this and then let me kind of apply it to the issue of, of defects. So the deen is nasiha, the religion is sincerity and sincere advice. To whom? To Allah, lillah. Now we can't give... Obviously, there's no such thing as giving sincere advice to Allah. So nasiha to Allah means being sincere to Allah. How, how are we sincere to Allah? In the obvious ways that we uh, honor his tawheed, we honor his oneness, single out him for worship, believe, believe that he's the only sustainer and creator, um, ascribe to him every quality of of, of, of perfection, negate from him every defect and, uh, and uh, wrong quality and false qualities. Um, that's in terms of kind of the belief. Our sincerity to Allah requires that we have sincere, correct belief about him. And in terms of our sincerity to Allah by way of action, it means to uh, obey him. Uh, sincerely and devoutly and wholeheartedly. It means to keep away from disobeying him and rebelling against his commands. It means to uh, remember him abundantly, uh, to love him above uh, everyone and everything else, to hope in his mercy 
to rely upon him and to trust uh, in him and in his promise and in his guidance and matters like that. That is sincerity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course, sincerity has depths. Some people can be much more sincere than others, but we all need to be sincere to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَلِكِتَابِهِ And sincerity to the book of Allah, the Qur'an, it's uh, first of all by believing that this is a book sent by Allah, revealed by Allah, and it is Allah's words, not the word of any human being. And thereafter, sincerity to Allah's book means to read it in order to understand it and be transformed by its message, its teachings, its wisdoms, parables and instructions, uh, to memorize it where possible, to spread its message to other people and places, uh, to regularly be in contact with it, reciting it. Every letter we recite with or without meaning, we get tenfold or more reward. Uh, the Prophet وسلم, said that uh, that there is a huge reward, a great reward for whoever reads even a single uh, letter of the Quran. I don't say that Alif Lam Mim is a letter, but Alif is a letter, Lam is a letter, Mim is a letter. And the tradi traditional understanding of that is um, even if we don't understand the meaning, we get rewarded. But of course, if our relationship with the Quran is only reading it, uh, in Arabic and we don't understand it, then on the one hand we're doing something good and on the other hand we are dishonoring the Qur'an. Why? Because we are denying or negating its greater, clearer purpose, which is what? <coughs> Guidance. To transform our lives, to rectify our state of affairs inwardly and outwardly. <coughs> and that can only happen uh, if we read the Qur'an with understanding, <coughs> apologies for my cough, with understanding, with reflection and contemplation. <coughs> Thank you, pardon. Sincerity, so that's sincerity to the book. Sincerity to his uh, messenger, to his prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It means to believe uh, that the Prophet ﷺ was sent by Allah to the whole of humanity to believe that he is the final prophet and no other prophet will come after him as a prophet. That's in terms of beliefs. Uh, in terms of belief, it, it is also to accept all that the Prophet ﷺ came with in terms of religion. I may not be practicing it, but I cannot be denying it. I may be weak in faith in Iman. And so I might not be doing certain uh, Islamic duties, which I should be, and maybe, and therefore I'm a sinful Muslim. But sinfulness is one thing. And rejecting anything that is known to be part of the Prophet's teaching is something totally different. Because that is not Islam. That is un-Islam. Someone who knowingly denies something which is clearly known to be part of the Prophet's religion and says, well, uh, I think that's just rubbish. That's silly. And I know it. And it's not some kind of obscure bit that 
part of Islam that only scholars know. No, this is something that it's common knowledge about Islam that every Muslim uh, must know and should know. And this is a type of uh, rejection of faith. Okay, so we need to uh, be careful. And in terms of actions, it's obeying him in that which he commanded, keeping away from that which he prohibited, um, knowing that there is no path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, except by following uh, his teachings and his way, his sunnah and his seerah and his sharia, uh, to love him, sallallahu alayhi wa And if we can do more than that, to honor and revere him. Mahabba of the Prophet is one thing, to love him is an obligation, but tabjeel, tawkir, and ta'zeem, these are all Quranic words to describe the Prophet is higher than love. Veneration and honor is higher than love. Okay, veneration is a really high type of honor. Okay, veneration is when, for example, uh, this is Bisanad Sahih with an authentic chain. Malik Radi, Imam Malik Radilanhu, whenever he would teach like fiqh or whatever, he would kind of teach in the Prophet's mosque as and when. When it came to teaching hadiths, the words of the Prophet, he would go home, take a full bath, uh, wear a new shirt if, if need be, and perfume himself with the best perfume, and then come and say, Qala Rasulullah, or he would let people read to him. Okay, that is love plus more. Uh, Imam Ahmed uh, bin Hanbal, you, for example, in his uh, in his biography, you, we, we read that people could ask him fiqh questions and, you know, like after the prayer, and he's walking home and you say, Ya, ya Sheikh, Ya Imam, uh, this fiqh question, and he, and he may answer that question whilst walking back to home and you'd have to walk with him. But when it came to our, um, narrating a hadith of the Prophet, I mean, he was walking, he would stop, he would sit down on the road or the floor or, or the pavement or wherever he was walking. And only then would he say, Qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right? And the Prophet sallallahu said such and such. That is love plus more. Love plus more is what we call tawqil, tabjil, ta'adheem. Veneration, bigging someone up. Adhama, ta'adheem. To big someone up in a venerable, honorable way and uh, scholars have always made the difference between loving the prophet's lesson which is a duty and, ob and an obligation is part of faith and venerating him the true sunni is the one who loves and venerates okay the half sunni is the one who, <laughs> who has no clue what's the, what's this veneration malarkey stuff Okay, even my, I have seen in my life, astaghfirullah, I heard in my life, may Allah guide people out of their ugliness and ignorance, say, oh, all of this is shirk and bid'ah, whatever. So really, well, this is the sahaba, these are the salaf. Well, that's for another time and another discussion. Sincerity to Allah's messenger, sallallahu by uh, following his sunnah, reviving his sunnah and spreading his, his sunnah, learning his seerah and being transformed by it, obeying him, not disobeying him, sending abundant salawat upon him, sending abundant salams and salawat upon him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And part of loving him is loving his family, his ahlul bayt, as the ulama uh, have said, loving the ahlul bayt. An example of that would be 
when Imam Ahmed bin Hamr was flogged in the uh, in the in the trial, which has been called uh, the trial of the creation of the uh, of the creation of the Quran, the Quran is uncreated, obviously, because it's the word of Allah. But the Caliph at the time had a wrong belief, a, a, a misbelief, and he started persecuting all the scholars who uh, who said something different than his belief, and he made it an inquisition. And uh, during Imam Ahmed's inquisition or mihna, he was being flogged until he would say what the caliph was saying of the false belief. And Imam Ahmed stood firm, patiently, uh, and held to the right belief that the Quran is uncreated. It's the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're not talking about the printed version of the Quran printed in Riyadh or printed in Pakistan. We're not talking about that. We're not even talking about the the words that we recite. We're talking about just the Quran as an archetypal heavenly book. It's, un it's the word of Allah. And Allah is not created, obviously. Nothing of Allah is created. We don't have that wrong belief about Allah. Uh, anyway, in years later, decades later, when a physician, a doctor came to Imam Ahmed and he had some back pain or something like that and he had to take off his shirt in order for the doctor or the physician to see. To the doctor's horror, Imam Ahmed's back was just laced with scars due to the flogging that had happened uh, decades before due to the, to the whipping and the lashing. And uh, the doctor started crying because he knew this is Imam, he's an elderly man, a man, Imam Ahmed, and he's also a scholar, you know, one of the great scholars. And um, he realized who did, who, who did this thing that it was on the instruction of that caliph. Okay, and uh, it, the doctor said, why don't you curse these people? Look what they've done. Uh, why don't you make dua against them? Sorry, and Imam Ahmed says, I, I don't want to make dua against them because they're actually descendants of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. They were Abbasid, uh, they were, uh, they were Abbasid caliphs, Abbasid from the Banu Abbas, Al-Abbas being uh, an uncle of the Prophet and so there is that prophetic lineage of the Abbasids and I don't wish, because uh, I don't wish to curse them because they are related to the Prophet how will it be on the Day of Judgment that I hold something against one of the family of the Prophet that is loving the Prophet and that is also loving the Ahlul Bayt in general the people of his house, the household of the, the Prophet More can be said about that, but perhaps another time, another place. Uh, sincerity to the leaders of the Muslims by, uh, if we're in a position to advise Muslim rulers, we should do so. Advising Muslim rulers isn't, get, get, isn't by getting on the pulpit and just rambling on about their faults and their injustices and their shabby leadership that's not advice at all that's that's just cussing and cursing them right and that's just um spreading havoc and just whipping up people's sentiments to get all you know running around like headless chicken hate 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 advising them is if i am in a position to advise then i advise privately or i send a letter or whatever other mechanism the political mechanism in that country or in that province by which I reach out to 
my political leaders, then we take uh, that way. That's part of sincerity and sincere advice to them. Likewise, sincere advice to them is not rebelling against them uh, uh, without without an Islamic justification, which the justification is twofold. Uh, that one that they are uh, that they have fallen into uh, the disbelief that takes a person outside of Islam, and two uh, that rep- uh, removing them won't cause more harm than good. That they can be replaced with the minimum uh, minimum amount of harm. Otherwise, rulers being sinful, rulers being um, half fit for purpose, unfit for purpose, rulers being disobedient to God and whatever. Uh, that in itself doesn't constitute disbelief. That just constitutes sinfulness and tyranny. So in that case, we need to just uh, work to better the political situation all around, find the right ways to improve uh, the uh, improve justice and uh, and to minimise ju- injustice and tyranny, and each not each country, but, you know, uh, yeah, I suppose each country has its own ways and own mechanisms. So one hat doesn't fit all sizes, I, I, I suspect. And sincerity to the common folk, the to other Muslims, is by um, advising them in that which is good uh, and advising them uh, to beware of that which is harmful uh, hoping good for them, wishing well for them, directing them aright, uh, praying for their welfare, as is sincerity to the Muslim leaders, praying for their welfare and their guidance, and that Allah make them fit for purpose, and Allah, you know, Allah take them out of the state of being shabby tyrants, and that Allah gives them the hidayah and the tawfiq to be. Uh, good rulers, if not righteous, but at least be decent uh, rulers. We, we, we'll, we'll have that, inshallah ta'ala. If we can't go for the best, we'll, we'll have something even mediocre. That's kind of probably better than a lot of what is going on uh, at the moment, and Allah knows best. Um, but the whole gist of nasiha, just to kind of bring it up to the to the maghrib mouth, is just being sincere. I want good for that person. I want good for others. Okay, so it's less about the technicalities and it's more about the heart being in the right place. Right? I really do want good for others. This person may be sinning. This person may be doing all sorts of silly things. But you know what? I want good for him. I want good for them, for her. I want good for my my leaders and my rulers. I want good for my scholars. And I want to be sincere to Allah and to His Prophet وسلم, and to and to the Quran, to the Holy to the Holy Quran. Right? When we have that as just part and parcel of our nature and our being Muslim, uh, and we just begin to just move in society, then we move in society as lights, as lamps giving light and warmth and illumination, right? Because I'm not looking out for my own personal interests, my own egotistical status. <clears throat> I just want what is good for you. 
And hopefully I have enough sensibility, wisdom and knowledge to understand what is good for you. Okay, but I just want good for you. And that's why I'm not going to advise you in public, because that's just disgracing you. That's bigging me up and, dis and putting you down. And I may call it Nasiha, but I'm actually a liar, a wretched liar. Because if I really wanted to give you Nasiha, I'd pull you aside and advise you privately. Of course, of course, of course. Sometimes when a wrong, a, a, a sin or a, a point of misguidance has become public, like something happens, uh, someone has said something on the Internet or on social media, and now it's gone out to thousands of people. Um, then we can do one of two things. The first and the better way would be to try to find the person who says that, advise him or her, and get them to self-correct publicly. Get them to go on air on, on that same show next week and publicly correct their error. That way we've wished them well. We've uh, given them enough space to recorrect themselves. And there's no disgrace or shame. Just pure brotherhood. Just pure ikhbatul imaniyah. If that doesn't happen or cannot happen for some valid reason, then uh, we may publicly on, uh, on social media say that some people, and we don't even have to mention the names, so there is the ideal way if we can avoid it is not to mention the names. Some people say such and such and such, but that's wrong because according to Islam, X, Y, Z. And so we focus the people not on the personality, but on the issue. Because what we want is the issue to be corrected, right? In not rare cases, but in a few instances, please note what I'm saying, in a few instances, the situation demands that we may have to mention the name of the person. Scholars generally say that when you look at the hadiths of the Prophet, he normally says, where are those who have said such and such? And he doesn't mention the names of the people, okay? But he mentions what they have said or did. And then he corrects the say, the wrong saying or the wrong action without mentioning the person's name. But on a few occasions, names can be mentioned and sometimes should be mentioned. It's not always wrong to mention it, but I suspect, and Allah knows best, just with my basic engagement with social media over the years, which is nothing more or less than yours, your engagement, that I find people are too eager to, to mention others by name and put them down. And it goes more on the character than it does on the issue. Okay, and that's when that's ego talking. That's not ruh. That's not the spirit. That's ego. That's the ugly ego. Um, and what would we expect? Generally, here I here is a, a Muslim who can't even control his voice to his parents. He shouts at his parents. He snaps at his parents, and he and he doesn't have that level of godliness. Doesn't have that level of taqwa, right? Or that level of control of or, or control of his nafs. How is, that, how is that same person going to just then for the sake of Allah? I'm not saying it's impossible, but is it likely that for the sake of Allah, 
and not for any egotistical reasons, he's going to mention that person by name. And it's going to be so pure and sincere that, oh, wow, you can see the halo of the angelic halo hovering above his head. Probably not. Probably not. If in doubt, just stick with explaining what is wrong rather than the wrongdoer. If in doubt. That way, we will not be guilty of humiliating and degrading the sacred honour, the sacred honour, the sacred honour of any Muslim. And we, Allah SWT will help to show us that it's all about spreading love and goodness. I just want good for others. When it comes to non-Muslims, something similar as well. Every human being has been born with the Adamic potential to know Allah, to worship him with Tawheed and to fall in love with him. Every human being. So we look at the non-Muslims in general with the eye of Rahmah, the eye of mercy, the eye of compassion. And we see the potential good that they have in general. And we're thinking of ways and asking Allah for ways to somehow access that potential so that the non-Muslim realizes the Adamic potential in them and becomes a person of Iman and Islam. Rather than just cuss and cursing, because any, any person could do that, right? And that's really not the prophetic way. The Prophet was all about seeking seeing the good in everyone and seeing how to manifest that good in them get that good to come from deep within them and to actualize it in reality um so that's the that's the hadith i wanted to cover two hadiths but uh that's the part about giving sincere advice the part about spreading love i've mentioned some things but we'll mention a hadith next week about it and kind of maybe spend some time about the idea of spreading love and goodwill. But it starts with this nasiha. It's built upon nasiha. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he give us sincerity in terms of uh, worshipping him and loving him. Sincerity to his Prophet and to the Book of Allah. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he help us be sincere advisors to anyone and everyone who seeks our advice and that we not give them advice for our own benefit, because then that would be treachery. And the Prophet said, uh, Whoever deceives us is not one of us. Okay, deception by advising someone, and you know that that wasn't the right advice, or you know that that advice might be partly right, but partly it was for my benefit. I benefit from it. It was self-serving. Okay, anything that isn't purely for the benefit of the person, okay, who, who is seeking one's advice, then that's not sincerity. We ask Allah SWT to purify our hearts, forgive our sins, forgive our misdeeds, and make us of those who uh, are uh, make of those us of those who are of benefit to Islam and Muslims and humanity, and not a harm and a hindrance to them. 
Uh, I've been your host, Abu Alia. This has been Faith Foundations. Um, I think next week uh, we might have a different time change starting after Maghrib. Uh, so it might start at 6.30. Please do look out uh, on, this, on this stream, on Stream Islam, for the timings. Uh, until then, uh, I've been Sarkhil Abu Alia, uh, your host. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.